His name was Charles Roberts IV. He was a milkman. He delivered milk in a tiny Amish community in southeast Pennsylvania. He was known as a nice guy, 32 years old, wife, kids. But on this fall day in 2006, he had evil intentions in his heart. He took his kids, along with his wife, to the bus stop, dropped them off. He said goodbye to his wife, and presumably he was going to leave for work, but that's not what happened. He loaded up his car with various guns and ammunition and duct tape and tools, all with the intention of molestation and murder. He headed to a tiny Amish schoolhouse just down the road. He broke into it. He let the male students go. He sent the adult students away, and the adult helpers, and there he was left with a group of girls. Charles Roberts was intent on molestation and murder. See, he was an angry man. He was angry at God. God had allowed his daughter to die prematurely nine years earlier. God had allowed him to have these thoughts of molestation that he had when he was a a child, but now we're coming back to him in an even stronger manner. He was filled with rage, and his emotions were running high, but nobody around knew it. After he got into the school, the, the, the police were called by those who had left. The police's the police quick response came. Nine minutes they came, and so he was unable to carry out fully the plan that he had devised. They commanded him to come on out, to put down his arms, to surrender. Charles Roberts responded in a barrage of gunfire, killing five of the girls between the ages of six and 13, execution style, and injuring five others before turning the gun on himself. Charles Roberts IV shocked not only this Amish community, but also the country. Maybe you remember that. Maybe you remember watching some of the news that came out from this town. As the reporters descended upon this town, people were being interviewed. Family members of those who had been killed or injured were being interviewed. And the amazing thing that impacted me when I saw family members interviewed, that they were not filled with anger or rage or hatred towards Charles Roberts, rather... They were filled with forgiveness and with love for not only the murderer, but his family. This came out not only in words on the, on the camera, but also in actions. The funeral for Charles Roberts was set uh, some days later, and not many people came to the funeral. Not many people come to a funeral of a mass murderer. His family was there, but then... Uh, the rest of the folks that were there were from this community. And they gathered and they hugged and they loved and they supported the family as they grieved over the loss of life. I remember in one of the interviews, one of the men was being interviewed was uh, related to those who were killed, one of the ones who was killed. And they said, how can you be so kind? Why aren't you angry. And his response was this. He said, how can I be angry 
we forgive him and we love his widow and his kids that he left behind. And this reporter was almost just taken aback and saying, well, how can you do this? How can you do this? And he said, well, we're Christians. That's what we do. Christians forgive. The insignia of our world in which we live is revenge. It's retaliation. It's vengeance. Uh, By insignia, I mean a distinguishing mark or a sign. That's what Webster's defines it as. I have this game on my phone. It's called the Clash of Clans. Anybody ever hear of Clash of Clans? Okay, so you can share in my wife's heartache that I have that on my phone. And on this game, you build a town, you construct a castle, you assemble an army, and then you join a clan. And people in your clan, you all have the same shield. And on that shield is an insignia. And that insignia represents who you are and each one of your clan mates. The insignia of the world is revenge. He did what to me? Well, I'll do this to him. She said what? Well, I'll do that to her. My boss has unfairly criticized me. Well, I'll show him. Oh, my brother and sister, they don't like the way I'm living my life? Well, how about I'll never talk to them again? Now, that can be kind of funny in some ways. When you're a kid, I remember getting mad at my mom and dad. I was really hurt. I was really wronged. They had wronged me. My family had wronged me, so I'm going to run away. And so I left the house. We lived out in the country right next to the church where my father pastored. And I went and hid behind the church. And I was gone for a really long time. It felt like a really long time anyway. And I came back to the house, expecting my house and my family to find me and to be so relieved that I was okay. But you know what? Nobody even noticed that I had left. (laughs) So it's funny in that way, when you're mad and you harbor these resentful feelings, but this is the way the world works. And when you grow up, it's not as pretty. It's retaliation. It's revenge. You're truly displaying Christian character when, like Jesus Christ, you forgive those who wrongly sin against you. Christians forgive. That's what we do. The truth of your Christianity isn't displayed when you love the lovable, when you enjoy the enjoyable. Anybody can do that. The truth of your Christianity is when you put off the insignia of the world, which is revenge and retaliation, and you put on the insignia of the kingdom. What is the insignia of the kingdom? The insignia of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. A true follower of Christ is grieved by sin and harms that are done to him or to her or to their family or to their community. But we, we leave vengeance in God's hands and we practice what Jesus practiced, and that is forgiveness. I love gangster movies and, and documentaries. And I'm not talking about uh, street gangs. I'm talking about uh, the mafia. I'm talking about... Um, uh, the five families of New York City, and that stuff fascinates me. Al Capone, Chicago, okay? 
And you see these documentaries and hear these things. And, and, and even though I, I like that, and I have, I'm a quarter Italian, so I, I have part of my heritage, only a quarter of it. I look like an Irishman, but I'm, I'm Lombardo. I'm Italian, okay? But I like that, but that's the world. The, the mafia practices revenge. So you get in a fight, you lose, you get beat up, you come back with a knife. You win with a knife, they're going to come back with a gun. And it just escalates it. One up, one up, one up. And Jesus, he comes and, and he says, as he's being nailed to the cross, not for his sin, but for your sin and my sin and for the sin of the people around him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The insignia of the kingdom is forgiveness. We're in Philemon, a short series here, focusing on this idea of forgiveness, what it is. Pastor Travis last week kind of gave a, a biblical foundation, theological framework for forgiveness. But let me just quickly review uh, where we're at in Philemon. Philemon was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named Philemon. He lived in Colossae. He was a Christian. It seems that he was a, a leader in the early church. He has his church in his house. You see it in verse 2 of Philemon. He owns slaves. Okay? And right away we hear that. How can a Christian own slaves? A few weeks back, Pastor Travis talked about slavery and the difference of, of uh, Greco-Roman slavery compared to our idea of slavery. Our idea of slavery uh, comes from uh, before even the, the, our country was founded. And it was very different. Let me give you four ways that it's different. Not to justify slavery in the New Testament, but to, to understand why Paul wouldn't just come out and condemn slavery. It's, let me give you four reasons. It's not associated with ethnicity. In the ancient world, um, slavery was not associated with ethnicity. Whereas, uh, in our country, it was. And slaves were brought from Africa on ships to come over and to be purchased as pro property to be put to work under the wrong thinking that they were less than human. That is not slavery in the ancient Greco-Roman world. It wasn't based on ethnicity. It also, number two, it was rarely permanent. We see here in the ESV, it's called a bondservant. Uh, we would uh, learn about this in grade school, indentured servanthood. So you'd go uh, to the new country and you'd become a, a servant of someone in the hopes that after you work off your debt, you could be free. Also, thirdly, uh, for many, slavery acted as bankruptcy. So you could go into slavery if you had a lot of debt and you couldn't repay it. Instead of getting thrown into jail, in debtor's prison, you could become a slave and work off that debt. And then the last reason or way that it is different was that many slaves could gain wealth and property. And there were even slaves that owned other slaves. So that if you were a slave in the first century, uh, more often than not, you were more well off than the poor free man. So slavery was very different uh, in this day, and, and Philemon owned slaves. One of them was Onesimus. Onesimus was one of the slaves, and it seems uh, to us from this letter that he escaped from Philemon. He left. He ran away. He went to Rome. That's where you go if you're trying to hide, the big city. 
he goes to Rome, and then he somehow encounters Paul and Paul's ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God saves Onesimus through the ministry of Paul. And now Onesimus is a Christian, he's a believer, and he works with Paul, for Paul. Paul seems to be that he's in prison, he's in chains here, and Onesimus is doing a good job serving Paul. But Paul sends him back, we see in our text this morning, uh, to Philemon, and he asks Philemon uh, to receive him back. Okay, so here's the big idea today. The big idea is this. A Christian must forgive. A Christian must forgive. Forgiveness is not an option. This is the first point. It's a requirement. You see here in the ESV, if you have it, it says, required, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required... The NIV says what you ought to do. New Living Translation says the right thing. Do the right thing. It is a requirement. So if you're a Christian, it's not an option not to forgive. It is required. You are called to forgive. Now, in the church, you're you're called to forgive. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus is talking about forgiveness. And he's talking about the church. And he says this, If your brother sins against you, if your brother sins against you, how many people know that the church isn't perfect? The church isn't perfect because you're in it. Okay? And because I'm in it. And because we're sinful people. And so because we're sinful people, there are going to be times that you're going to sin against someone and someone else is going to sin against you. If your brother sins against you, go to him, talk about it, work it out. Don't call the pastor, don't call uh, the, the prayer chain, don't call for a meeting. You go right to that person who has wronged you, who has sinned against you, and you get it right between them, between each other. Okay? So how many times should I do this? How many times should I forgive my brother or sister who wrongs me? Well, Jesus addresses that later on in in the chapter 18. Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, Peter knew that the Pharisees in the day, the religious leaders in the day, they said three times. Forgive somebody three times. They sin against you once, okay. Sin against you twice, okay, but I'm just telling you, three strikes and you're out. They sin against you a third time, done. Cut off communication, I'm not going to forgive you. So Peter knows that, and so Peter says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? And he says, as many as seven times. So Peter, he knows the Pharisees say three, and they're religious authority. He doubles that, and he adds one for good measure. Jesus, seven times? Is that what he, is that how many times? Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, or 77 times. The point is, you keep forgiving. That's what Jesus says. Hmm. You keep forgiving. The church is called to forgive others. The insignia of the kingdom, our distinguishing mark, is forgiveness. So you are required. So somebody could just tell you, hey, you need to forgive, okay? You need to do that. Paul could say that to uh, Philemon. I'm bold enough, he says, in Christ to command you to do what is required. It is required, but here 
It leads to our second point. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So Paul appeals to love. So he doesn't go to the commandment. He doesn't go to the requirement. He goes to love to appeal to Philemon. Now we toss around this word love so easily. Man, I love the Cubs. I love the Blackhawks. I love pizza. I love my car. Jesus says this in John chapter 13. Just as I have loved you, now you love one another. How much does Jesus love us? He gives his life for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' death on the cross didn't happen when you got good enough. didn't happen when you got clean enough and righteous enough to receive his love. It's that while you were still lost in your sin, he loved you and died for you. That's how much God loves us. That's how much Jesus loves us, that he would pay for your sin by his own blood because he loves you. And he says, now because I have loved you, here's the new commandment I give to you. Love one another. So Paul appeals to love, to Philemon. I appeal to you out of love, out of love. So forgiveness is not an option. It's a requirement. Number two, forgiveness involves receiving someone back in love. Receiving him back in love. So Paul says, for love's sake I I appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also, to Christ Jesus, for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you. Just a side note, isn't this great, this letter from Paul? He's, he, he's throwing in a, 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 some tearjerkers here, a little emotional uh, connection here to Philemon. I, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now I'm a prisoner. I appeal to you. He, he, he's, he's pulling on the heartstrings of Philemon, and he's appealing to you for Onesimus, my child whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, because he ran away, and now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And so who gave Philemon this letter? Onesimus. So Onesimus is coming back with this letter from Paul. He's coming back repentant. He's a believer now. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's coming back repentant and ready to come back to serve his master, Philemon, and he gives this letter to Philemon. And so we're called to take someone back in love. Paul was asking Onesimus to take him back. Not just to say, I forgive that person, but actually then to take him back in love. True forgiveness means you take the person back. It's not just that you can say, I forgive that person, and then I'll keep him over here. I forgive him, I I forgive her, but you know how she is. i got to stay away from her. I forgive my family members, but I'm not going to any more family functions, okay? No, true forgiveness means you take someone back. Now, there are exceptions to this. Um, If you're in an abusive relationship, you can forgive your abuser, but it doesn't mean you let them back into abuse. And so we have to use our good judgment on this. But uh, for the most part, for most situations, for times in the church that you are button heads with somebody, that someone's hurt you and wronged you, you need to forgive them and be in fellowship with them still. Has anyone ever harmed you here in the church? 
Maybe not in this church. Maybe it's another church. Forgive and take them back in love. Now this is what God does for us. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that God would forgive us and take us back into a right relationship with him. See, we believe that God created all that there is and everything was good at the end of creation. Remember, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had a right relationship with each other and a right relationship with God. There wasn't sin in the world. They dwelled with the Lord. Things were good. But then something happened. Sin came into the world. Man rebelled. Men and women rebelled against God Almighty. And they chose to sin. Now, um, we choose to sin as well. I don't know about you, but I like to look back at some biblical passages and I insert myself in there. And I say, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. If I was in the garden, I wouldn't have sinned. No, no, I would have sinned. Instead of Adam and Eve, we'd be talking about Steve and Eve. But we all choose to sin now and rebel against God. So it's not just their fault. We do have uh, a nature of sin, a sin nature. But it's also an act of volition on our part. We have all sinned. Amen? And we sin and we choose to go our own way. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that our sins are forgiven. That he pays for our sin so that we might have Jesus Christ's righteousness. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we can have the righteousness of God in him. So that you could be justified, we heard talk about today in the, in the praise and worship. We could be justified. Uh, it's just as if we never sinned before the Lord God because of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, and he would invite us back to a right relationship with him. Do you know God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, Jesus says. And Jesus paid for our sins by his blood. He rose again from the dead so that if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but you You'll have everlasting life. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And we're talking about forgiving other people today, but maybe you need to be forgiven by Lord God Almighty himself this morning. Maybe he's here and calling you to a right relationship with him. You know you can go to bed tonight and you can lay down your head and rest well because you're forgiven and you're right with the God who made you because of what Jesus has done for you. Not of any works that you have done, but by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. That you believe in him, that you would have faith in him. Repent and Turn to him in faith this morning. This is the gospel. It's the good news. And so I'm getting fired up now. I've got to go back to Philemon. But this is the good news, that you would be saved. That you would be saved through Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. And he longs to have a relationship with you. It's for his glory. It's for his name. But praise his name. He loves us. Forgiveness means bringing someone back in love. That's what God does for us. Thirdly, forgiveness involves restoring someone to a right relationship. Verse 16. Receive him back, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother 
especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Philemon, brother Philemon, Paul says, take Onesimus back. Don't just take him back as a slave anymore. Take him back as a brother in Jesus Christ. True forgiveness. The forgiveness that God commands us to practice. The insignia of the kingdom means restoring someone to a right relationship. This is what God does for us. When he saves us, he doesn't leave us in our sin, but he calls us to a life like Jesus' life, a life of love and forgiveness, a life of generosity and mercy, a life of truth and justice. This is what God, and he, he causes us then to grow up in that way. I'd like to say this. God loves you just the way you are. But when you are saved, he loves you too much to leave you just the way that you are. He calls you to be like Jesus. And so as we grow in our Christ-likeness, this is an amazing thing, amazing truth. We get to share in Christ's glory, in Jesus' own glory. In Romans uh, chapter 8, we read uh, this, that we get to share when Christ is glorified. We're glorified with him. In 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it says, Through the gospel, we obtain the glory of Jesus. So we can talk about heaven and hell, and that heaven and hell are real. If you reject Jesus Christ, you face an eternity of hell. But if you embrace Jesus Christ by faith, you will be saved for all of eternity. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. It's not scare tactics to talk about hell. It's the reality. There is a heaven and hell. But we're not just talking about that here. We're talking about sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ as his son, as his daughter. This is the relationship he gives to his followers, to those that would believe. We get to share in Jesus Christ glory. My junior year at Wheaton College, I played baseball, and I was the number two pitcher that year. The number one pitcher on the team was a senior, and he was a great pitcher. He ended up going, he played professional baseball. He's 6'7", he could throw the ball hard, pinpoint accuracy, either corner of the plate. And you know, that year, his senior year, we had scouts coming to all the games, tons of scouts coming, people come to watch my fellow teammate. And so we usually play doubleheaders. So the first doubleheader game, um, he would pitch, and then the second, I would pitch. Um, there would still be people left over from when he pitched to when I would pitch. I got to share in his glory. I wasn't as good as him. I wasn't going to be drafted. I should have been, but I, I'm, I wasn't going to be drafted. He, he was and so I got to share in his glory. We get to share in Christ's glory. It's not because we're perfect and we're righteous because we're not, but Jesus is. Jesus is all-powerful and all we get to share with him. And so uh, forgiveness involves restoring someone to a right relationship like Jesus has done for us.
we'd be a son and daughter that would share with him in glory. Now, in light of all this, have you forgiven those who have wronged you? Maybe even today, being reminded of how you've been forgiven would spur you on to forgive those who have wronged you and hurt you. Have you forgiven everyone that you need to forgive in your life? Now, there are some circumstances where you're not going to get the feedback. And you don't necessarily want the feedback. Abuse, maybe the person is lost, they're gone already, they're dead. But you still need to forgive. Are there people that you need to forgive? And you say, yeah, yeah, I've forgiven everybody. Well, here, let me give you three red flags, okay, that maybe you haven't. Three red flags. You can't look at the person in the eye. Oh, I've forgiven him, yeah. But I can't look at him. I've forgiven her, but I can't stand to look at her. Here's another red flag. Thinking of the person brings a knot to your stomach. Have you truly forgiven them? How about this? When you speak of them, it's always negative. So when you go to somebody else and you're speaking about this person, you're, you're not building them up. You're tearing them down. Well, it's just a negative talk. Have you truly forgiven those who you've called, been called to forgive? Jesus says, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Make it right. Forgive him. If they don't even see it that way, okay. Then you can go to the next step that Jesus brings about, and that's to bring it to, uh, to uh, some other's attention and then eventually to the church. But if they do listen, you've won your brother. You've won your sister. Make it right with them while you can. Forgive them. Is there someone you need to forgive? Or do you need to be forgiven by God Almighty this morning? And Jesus would stand before you and say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you have not come to him yet in faith. You need to come to Jesus this morning and believe in him. So let's pray with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to ask the Lord something this morning. To ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is the Lord. He's, he's present with us this morning. Thank you, Lord. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you anyone that you need to forgive. Would you do that as you just pray to the Lord? Just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, please in this moment reveal to me anyone I need to forgive and see if he brings anyone to mind. If you see someone's face, that's who he's asking you to forgive. And then with God's help, forgive that person. Maybe you need to go out of here this morning and you need to make a phone call. You need to get right with that one. Lord, we thank you uh, this morning uh, for all that you've done for us, for the forgiveness that you give so rich and free. Lord, we thank you that you forgive us of all our sins. Father, we also know that it's easy for for me to receive forgiveness. That's another thing to give it. So Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts this morning to forgive those who have wronged us. 
and maybe even in, in the church here, Lord, that there are relationships that be, need to be made right, that you would work. Your Holy Spirit, you'd come and do a work of forgiveness. We want to live as kingdom people that are the symbol on our shields is forgiveness, not revenge and retaliation. That's how the world operates, God. We want to operate in forgiveness. But we know we need your help to do it. And so would you, would you come, Father, and do that? Lord, I, I also pray this morning that you'd be speaking to people's hearts, even, even those who haven't bowed the knee to Jesus Christ today. They're here for a number of reasons, but for whatever reason, Lord, now, they're not saved. They don't believe in, in the salvation that you provide. And I ask that you would convict them of their sin right now, that they would call out to you, humble themselves, and they would turn from their sin, and they would believe in you. That you're the way, the truth, and the life, Lord. And so we know that we can only come to you because of the blood of Christ. And so we thank you for that. Lord, we give you praise for what you're, you've done, what you're doing, and what you will continue to do here at Village Bible Church in Aurora. We pray for uh, Village Bible Church, uh, Campus Espanol, downstairs meeting too, that you would be doing a work even now in this building uh, with them. Lord, we pray for uh, the Sugar Grove campus and Shabana campus, God, that you would uh, be speaking through uh, your preachers there this morning and, and, and the, uh, the worship that is going on there, that you would be doing a work among us in our, in our midst. And we give you praise that you allow us to see it and to get to be a part of it. And so we pray all of these things in your beautiful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.